Jesus, we believe that you are greater, that you're stronger than our sin, than our shame, than anything that could stand between you and us, that your cross proves that you're bigger, that you're stronger, that you love us, that you're good, and that you're for us. And Lord, may our time studying your word serve to further that foundation in our life, and may it be the foundation that we stand on. By your grace and by your grace alone, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I think we should welcome our third service. They're going to be watching this. They're going to be joining us. Can we just say welcome to them? Say hi. It's awesome. Awesome. Uh, a few weeks ago, I read a, a story about a tropical storm in 2010 named Agatha. Uh, and um, whenever, if your name's Agatha and you're a tropical storm, you're going to bring the thunder. Let's just all agree on that right now. Any amens? Amen. Yeah, right. Um, and so that's what Agatha did. Agatha brought the thunder to both uh, Central and Latin America, and it hit Guatemala City especially hard. And in the middle of the city, there, uh, the, the ground eroded underneath the buildings, and there formed a 330-foot sinkhole. Now, for those of you that thought this was an aerial view of our parking lot, you're wrong, Okay. <laughs> You are wrong. Our, our potholes aren't that deep, okay? Can, can you imagine, though? Can you imagine the ground just across the street from the building that you're working in, giving out 330 feet sinking into the earth? There was uh, power lines that were sucked into this. There were actually people who lost their life in it. But, but the very ground that all of these buildings were standing on quite literally just crumbled and sunk into the center of the earth. And it's tragic. Would you agree? It's really, it's, it's sad to see something like that happen. Um, you know what's even more sad, though? Is not to see this happen in a city or to see this happen to a street or to a, a parking lot. But what, what's really sad is to see that type of thing happen to a life. And we all know lives that have turned out like a sinkhole, don't we? Where the, the, char, or the course was charted and things were going well. Where we got off to a good start and we're excited and passionate. Maybe you have had this experience in your life, but, but eventually something happened and the ground just gave out right beneath you. If you haven't had it happen to you, you probably have people that you know and that you have seen it happen to, and it's devastating and it's sad to feel the ground that you're standing on quite literally give way. You know what's tragic is that we often don't evaluate what we're building on, the very foundation of our lives, until we get to sort of the end. And we have the chance to look back. And we have the chance to see at, at, a, at maybe a transitional season of life, well, I wish I wouldn't have done that, or I wish I wouldn't have built that on that, or, or the things that I valued and the things that I chased after actually didn't yield the things that they promised. And so easily life can just look like a sinkhole when we look back on some seasons, can it? You know what's interesting to me is over the course of the last few weeks, we've been studying, by last few weeks, I mean about the last year, we've been studying the book of Acts together. 
And over the course of the last few chapters, we've been tracing the life and the ministry of a guy we call the Apostle Paul. And I think of his life and all the things that he went through and how many opportunities he had to have the ground just crumble beneath him. I mean, you name it, it happened to him. He had friends betray him. He had people who wanted to beat him, who did beat him within an inch of his life. He was thrown in jail. He was every, pressed in on every side, he writes at one point in time. And what was it? What was it? that allowed his life to stand. I don't know about you, but, but if it's me and, and I see somebody who lives that type of life and has that type of influence, I want some of it. Yes? So, so here's where you say amen. So I want some of it. Yeah, yeah, me too. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're with me. Because I, I look at that and I go... Wow, to live that type of life, to be that type of parent, to be that type of employee, to be that type of husband, to be that type of you fill in the blank where the world crumbles around you and you stand the test. What allows some lives to do that? And some lives to just crumble. Will you you look up at me for a moment? What we're going to see in this passage of scripture is this key truth. The truth is the foundation that you lay will determine the life that you live. The foundation that you lay will determine the life that you live. And unfortunately, some of us will build on a foundation of sand and some of us will build on a foundation of rock. But all of us are building our lives on something. We're all building our lives on something. The question is, is it a something that will sustain us when life gets difficult? Is it a foundation that's worthy of a life being built on it? Or will it crumble? I, was, um, I have dad day every Friday with my kids, and, and um, my daughter didn't want to go anywhere this Friday. She just wanted to hang out at home and have a tea party, so that's what we did, um, to the glory of God. Um, Pinkies up, right? Pinky. So um, I'm having a tea party with my daughter, and I hear um, my son yell, Daddy, Daddy. And this is pretty typical in my house right now. Somebody told him that he's two years old, and so he's got a mind of his own, right? And I run into the bathroom, and he's um, up on the sink. He has the sink on, and he's washing his hands, which um, I appreciate the attempt at hygiene for this two-year-old. And he's washing his hands, and, but he's holding on to the sink, and his feet are kicking in the air. So I went and got a drink, because I figured that's a, that's a free babysitter right there is what that is, right? No, I'm just kidding. I, I helped him down, and I had this picture in my mind of people like me, and people like you, who eventually get to this point in life where we're dangling and our feet aren't touching and the ground seems to have given way. When life gets hard, when life gets difficult. And I started to wonder, what is it about the Apostle Paul? What is it about his life that allows it to stand the test of time? Wouldn't you, if he told us that, wouldn't you want to know 
two of you do. So I'm going to, I didn't know what I'd do if two of you didn't ask. So since two of you have asked, yeah. Um, let's dive into the book of Acts chapter 20, because that's where Paul's going to invite us into, in many ways, into his personal life, his personal world, to say, here's the things that made me tick, and here's the things that kept me going. When the nights got long and the days got dark and I was in the valley, here's what sustained me. Acts chapter 20, verse 24, here's what he says. But I do not account my life of any value. So he's going to say, let's just distill this down to its very base level. If everything else was stripped away from me except this, I would be okay. I would be okay. Um, just a quick time out. What's that thing for you? If, if everything else faded away, but one thing remained, what would be that thing that would sustain you? Here's what he says. I don't account my life as precious to me, nor of any value. If only I may finish my course, so he's got his set sight on something. And the ministry that I received from the Lord, which was what? To testify to the what? Gospel of the grace of God. So I know, okay, okay so if you've been here for a few weeks, you're going, Paulson, are we on this merry-go-round again? Is this a message that's going to be about the grace of God? Yes! Yes! Um, spoiler alert. In some way, shape, or form, next week will be about it too. <laughs> and the week after that, and the week after that, and the week after that. Why? Why? Well, Paul says that's what my whole life and ministry was about to testify to the grace of God. We've gotten sort of, um, in churchianity, we've gotten to the point where we think we need to outgrow the grace of God. Well, if you ever do, may I propose to you, you may be something religious, but you are not a follower of Jesus anymore. And Paul says, this was what my life was about. The foundation of my ministry that sustained me when life was hard. This is what I had in the back of my mind. This is what I was building on. Because everybody's building on something, and what we're building on, the foundation of our life will determine the fruit of our life. It will, every single time in Paul goes, that's what was in my sights. And as he gathers these Ephesian elders around, this is the context of this passage, he's gathered the, the leaders of the church at Ephesus around him, and he wants to say, here's what I built my life on. And then he's going to give an, an invitation to them Build your life on the same thing. Here's, here's what he says. Listen to verse 32 as he gives them this commissioning. He's, he's, he's on, a, on a trip back to Jerusalem as he does this. He's really marching towards his death. And in many ways, he knows it. This is his commissioning for this church that he spent about three years with that he deeply, deeply loves. So he's going to say, if you only do this thing, one thing, do this, do this. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his, what? Okay, okay, so I'm not making this up, right? You're reading it too? I commend you to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you 
an inheritance, the inheritance among those who are sanctified, who are made right with Jesus. So there's this beautiful thing that Paul says in his swan song, in his speech at the very end of his life. He looks back and he says, I built my ministry on grace. And his invitation to the church at Ephesus, I would propose as his invitation to people like you and me today. What are you building your life on? He says grace has this beautiful, mysterious, wonderful capacity to work its way into a life. The love of God is displayed in the work of Jesus on the cross to work its way into a life. And then Paul says, grace, which is able to build you up, quite literally, to increase your capacity, is what that Greek word means, to build up, to to strengthen, to make whole. Did you know? That grace has that ability, that capacity in your life. In fact, I'll say it like this for us this morning, is that Paul lays this beautiful foundation of grace, and in him and in you and I as well, it creates a life of both faithfulness and fruitfulness. So if we ask the question, what is it that allowed Paul to keep going? What is it that allowed Paul to keep walking? What is it that allowed Paul to be part of planting 14 churches, if we're reading our New Testament right and and sort of see where he sunk anchor into? 14 churches he's a part of planting? 13 letters in the pages of Scripture? Or not in the pages, 13 letters in Scripture that the Lord uses him to pen? 10,000 miles of missionary journey conservative, 10,000 miles, on boats, on foot. I mean, this isn't let's hop a plane, right? We're, We're all aware of that. But this is a life that's given and a life that's spent for the sake of the goodness of the gospel of grace. And look up at me for a moment, friend. Your life will either be spent or it will be squandered but it will only be one of the two. It will only be one of the two. So what is it that allows Paul to have a life that's spent, to have a life that doesn't just create this sinkhole effect at the end of it where he looks back at it and goes, ooh, but where he looks back and he said, no, I was faithful and I was fruitful. The foundation of that life is none other than the grace of God. So the question becomes, where are we building? Where are we building? Are we building on our resumes? Are we building on our strength? Are are we building on the things that in our own um, effort we can accomplish and we can do? Or, 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 that's the way of religion. Or are we building solely, only, totally on the grace of God? Paul says, as I look back at my life, what was in the center, what was in the the focus and the scope was, one, the ministry of testifying to the grace of God, and then two, he says, to everybody he encounters, and, and my invitation to you, friend, is to build your life on the very same. And here's what happens. So we're going to see in the rest of this chapter, Acts chapter 20, what happens, the, the, the fruit of a life that's built on the foundation of grace. 
And I want to point out to you four things that come about in Paul's life because he says, I'm going to lay a foundation. I'm building on the foundation of grace that I've received in Jesus Christ and in him alone. Four things that I want to point out that are, in a sense, a litmus test for a life that's building on the grace of God. You ready? That's where you can say, yeah. You ready? Okay, great, great. Look at back in Acts chapter 20 at verses 1 and 2 with me. It says, and after the uproar ceased, and Paul at this time is in uh, Macedonia, he's just been um, part of a riot. So after the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples, and after encouraging them, after encouraging them, he departed, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia, verse 2. And when he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. And as he continues to travel, he makes a pit stop along the way on his way to Jerusalem in um, a neighboring town to Ephesus. And he says, all right, go get me the leaders of the church at Ephesus. I want to bring them around and give them this commissioning. But it's fascinating, isn't it? In a life where you know it's coming to a close, what does Paul take the time to do? He takes the time to go back and visit the churches that he's planted. He takes the time to go back and visit the leaders he's invested in. And he encourages them. This is his ministry in his final free days of being a missionary, an apostle. It's one of the distinguishing marks of people who build their life on the grace of God. They are relationally invested people. Because they recognize first and foremost, I imagine Paul going, well, well, if the God of the universe had left his throne on heaven, clothed himself in humanity, stepped into his world that he created, not only stepped into it, but eventually died for it, maybe just maybe people are important to God. And maybe just maybe Paul sees this as part of his mission to encourage. Quite literally, it's this word in the Greek, parakaleo. It's, it's two Greek words, or a para um, uh, alongside, and kaleo, to call. So it's this idea of calling someone alongside, as if to say, follow me as I follow Christ. Let me ask you, are there people in your life that you're invested in? People in your life that you're willing to, as Paul does, um, make a detour in order to engage an encounter. That was a huge sacrifice. It costs him a lot of time, a lot of energy, and a lot of money to say, these churches are worth my investment. These people are worth my investment. And, and so here's the thing. Will you look at me for a moment? You never invest in people without it costing you something. You never do. You never do. Paul doesn't. He has contact with them, he has love for them, and he sacrifices for them. But it's all because of the foundation that was laid in the grace of God. He goes on, he goes on. In, in, verses, uh, eight, in verse 18, we're going to pick up Dr. Luke's recording of Paul's interaction with the Ephesian leaders, the, the, the leaders of this church at Ephesus. And he says this, and when they came to him, these are the elders, he said to them, so this is his, his sermon, this is his speech, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia. So, so Paul's just a, he, he's going, I was consistent. I did not change my tune. I was consistent from the first day until now. 
And he says, this is what I did. Serving the Lord with all humility, with tears, with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained, literally in in the Greek it's this idea of being tied up by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Now, here's what Paul just did. He killed the prosperity gospel. Because he goes, this is, God is leading me, the Holy Spirit is leading me, I'm following him to affliction and to jail. So if, you're, if your theology says God can only lead me towards green pastures and mountaintop experiences, may I propose to you that that is your theology, but it is not a biblical theology of what God is like. And God is far bigger in our lives than just being present in the good times. He says, I'm present in, and I'm present in every time. And one of the key characteristics of Paul's life, a life built on the foundation of grace, and remember, your foundation will always yield, yield your fruit. It always will. He says this, I was not only invested relationally, but I was persistent through the pain, through the hardships of life, through those dark experiences. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul shares a little snippet, a piece of his autobiography. And he says, I was, I was beaten within an inch of my life multiple times. I was on the run. I was in jail. I was hungry. I was cold. I spent three days in the open sea. I mean, anyone want to go toe-to-toe with Paul in that? I mean, so we read, we're going to read in a few weeks in the book of Acts, and at the end of the book of Acts, Paul is um, in a shipwreck, gets on dry land, starts to walk, and gets bitten by a snake. I mean, at that point, don't you just go, this has been fun. This has been great. Just kill me now. Thank you very much, God. What is it that allows some people, when painful, difficult times come, some people persist and some people tap out? What's the difference? What's the difference? Because here's the deal, friend. You're going to face times in life where I can guarantee you it's easier to say, I'm done. You're going to face times in your marriage where it's easier to say, I'm done, I'm out. You're going to face times with your kids where it's easier to say, I'm done, I'm out. You're going to face times in your job or in looking for a house or you, you name it where it's going to be far easier to say, way too much work and God, I don't even see how you're in it. You'll face times in your health where you go, it's just easier to just sort of say, I'm done. What's the difference between some lives that say, I'll persist through the pain and some people that say, it's just too much. I would propose to you the difference for Paul is... I have in my sights the fact that God captured my heart, that God captured my soul, that he poured his love into me. It is where I'm building my foundation because he's good, he's for me, he's present, and I know it even if I'm at the, in the open sea treading water or in the jail wondering where my next meal comes from 
or getting beaten within an inch of my life, even then, here's what I know and here's where my foundation is. It's solely and only in the grace of God. Where's yours? Where's yours? I love the way that Louis Giglio, pastor, puts it. He says, passion is the degree of difficulty we are willing to endure to achieve our goal. Passion is the degree of difficulty we're willing to endure to achieve our goal. And friends, our lives will not be defined by, the, by whether or not difficult things happen. They're going to happen to us all. Our lives will be defined by how we respond when they do. I love the way that the great leader, John Maxwell, puts it when he says, every leader, or you could just put every person, fails. And I think Paul could look back in his life, and now we can read this through rose-colored glasses, but I bet you there were times where he was sitting on a beach after swimming to dry land where he went, that's it. I mean, I set out to do this, but I have absolutely failed. Where he writes to the church at Corinth, and they're just going crazy. And, And I wonder if he sits there going, I'm the worst apostle on the face of the planet. I almost guarantee he did. And he says, every leader, every person fails. The question is not, are you perfect? I love this. The question is, are you persistent? It's a great question. It's a great question. So let's talk for a second. What might God be calling you to be persistent in? As we look at Paul's life, a life founded, grounded, and built on the grace of God, if your life is too, one of the key distinctives, characteristics is we're persistent through the pain, through the difficult experiences. What are some invitations God might be giving you in the midst of your trials to say, I'm going to sink my anchor into the same thing? Because they're there. Maybe it's somebody you've been sharing your faith with and you just sense that there's just a brick wall there. Maybe it's a job you got turned down for. Kids that don't seem to be listening, welcome to the party, right? House that doesn't seem like it'll come through, health that's failing. As I read the scriptures and I look at the life of Paul, especially, one of the things that just seems to jump off of the page at me is this almost irrational optimism, Or he goes, listen, my foundation is the grace of God. I know that he loves me. I know that he died for me. I know that he redeemed me. I know that he calls me his own, and I know that he's for me. And so therefore, my conviction is, even if it doesn't look like what I think it should look like, he's going to come through for me. He's going to be present, and I can keep walking whatever that road is he's called me to walk. And I can promise you, friend, I don't know what your road is that you're walking right now, but I can promise you that he's with you in it. promise you he is. He was with Paul. It's a key distinctive of people who build their life on the grace of God. Listen to the way that he continues to encourage this group of leaders. Jump down to verse 25 with me. He says this, And now, behold, I know that none of you among whom I've gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. So he's like, this is it, you guys. This is it. If I have one more thing to tell you, it's this. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. 
Pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock. He says this to the elders, to the leaders of this church, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he's obtained with his own blood. Oh, man, Uh, just a quick time out. I would love to spend more time. Admittedly, I am flying over that verse that commissions the leaders of this church to say, give your life for these people. These are, this is my flock that I've purchased with my blood. You are the redeemed children of a holy God. And the role of elders in a church is to say, we're going to partner with Jesus in feeding and guarding and guiding and governing your people who you care about. And for every elder that that doesn't keep up at night every once in a while, we probably aren't honestly wrestling with what God's invitation to us is. That's for free. Okay. He says this, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. From among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, he says to these leaders, be alert, remembering that for three days I did not cease, night or day, to admonish, to teach everyone with tears. So here's what Paul says. Not only did I invest relationally and not only did I persist through the pain, but my life was just this like laser-focused vision of not only knowing the gospel and living the gospel of grace, but of taking that baton of faith and passing it down to the people that were coming after me. Because that was my focus. And he was unapologetically intentional. Because day and night, in good seasons and bad, Through tears, through trials, through pain, through difficulty, and in the good times, here's what I did. I invested my life in sharing the good news of the gospel with those around me. I love this focus. This uncommon clarity that Paul brings is the result of building his life on the foundation of grace. And Pastor Craig Rochelle, he says it like this. He says, everybody ends up somewhere. But few people end up somewhere on purpose. So friend, your life is built on something and your life is heading somewhere. And God, by his grace and mercy to you, has invited you, will you build on me? Will you follow me? Because your life is heading somewhere. Is it heading somewhere on purpose? Look at the way that Paul does this. Look at what he does with this intentional focus. He says, I am going to pass down the faith that I know and the love that God's poured out into my heart to the next generation. So he teaches, he admonishes, he builds up. And here's the thing, friend, here's the thing. It will not happen on accident. We will not accidentally raise a generation of kids coming up who go, you know what, I I love Jesus. It won't happen on accident. Parents, it won't happen on accident. It will happen intentionally or it will not happen at all. So so when when I say, hey, we need people to invest in our kids' ministry, I don't need a, we don't need a slot filled. Hear me on that. We need a baton holder who's willing to say, this is what Jesus has done in my life, and I'm going to intentionally pass it down. One of the most haunting passages in all of the scriptures in the book of Judges, chapter 2, verse 10. And here's what the author of Judges records for us. He says, and all that generation also were gathered together with their fathers. That means they died. 
It's the Bible's way of saying they're gathered with their fathers who were also dead. They're not having to huddle with their fathers somewhere. Okay, well, they are, but it's underground. Okay, um, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or what he had done. So, so they walked through the Red Sea on dry ground, didn't know that. The, the Jordan River at flood stage comes to a halt. They didn't know that. They walked through on dry ground. That marching band busts out their instruments, puts on the robes, and goes around Jericho seven times, and the walls fall, and they didn't tell the story to their kids. If that doesn't stir in us a little bit of a holy haunting, then I don't know what will. It happens intentionally or it doesn't happen at all. And Paul says, the grace of God has so shaped and so formed my life that I'm going to invest in passing this down to the people coming after me. I'm going to appoint, I'm going to train, I'm going to invest in leaders. And in all the difficult seasons of life, he persists through the pain, but he also says, I'm going to persist with this intentional focus. This is what God has called me to do. And because of the foundation he had, he had this constant consistency in the trials and storms of life to say, that's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. That's what I'm about. What are you about? What are you? If you were to give the same speech, this would be fun for you to do sometime this week. Write the same speech. <laughs> Write your speech. If you were to gather people around you towards the end of your life or when you think you're not going to see them anymore, what would you say? These are the things that I was about. These were the things that shaped my life. Finally, verse 33 after he says that grace is able to build you up, it's able to give you an inheritance amongst those who are sanctified. So he goes, grace not only builds your life now, but purchases your destiny for when you stand before Jesus face to face. Verse 33, I coveted no one's silver or gold, he says, or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I've shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Now, we've heard this before. We've studied this before. We know this. And at least we'll give uh, a little bit of lip service to, yep, better to give than to receive. In a Greco-Roman culture built on an exchange, I'll give you something if you'll give me something back. This idea was absolutely insane. That's what it was. And so he says, I want you as my people, as you build on the foundation of grace, not only to invest relationally and persist through the pain and be unapologetically intentional with your lives, but he goes, I want you to be the type of people who are just ridiculously generous. Where the world looks at the way that you give and the way that you invest your life and the way that you invest your time and your friends go, so wait, your church is staying open all night to give a place for homeless people to stay? And you go, yeah, you, you want to you join in? You want to come and sleep at the church with me that night? You want to be a part of something bigger than yourself? And it's only the foundation of grace that can do that in the lives 
of people who follow after Jesus. Look at the way. Look at the way that Paul says this in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, and we want you to know, brothers, about the, what's the word? Help me out. Grace of God. See, I'm not making this up. This is all over the pages of scripture as a motivation for us to live out the good news. I want you to know about the grace of God that's been given amongst the churches of Macedonia for in a severe test of affliction, difficulty, their abundance of joy and their, out of their extreme poverty have overflown in a wealth of generosity on their part. He goes on to explain further why that's the reality for them. And he says, for you know the grace of your Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, hear this, friend, though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. I would say so. He, he left his throne in heaven, clothed himself in humanity, and stepped into this world. So that by his poverty, you and I might become people who are rich. What a beautiful picture of a life that's built on the grace of God. So your foundation is on something, friend. The question is, is it on something that will sustain you in the dark days of life and the seasons where you don't know which way is up? Where is it built? Is it built on you or is it built on what Jesus alone can give? You know what's interesting is lay these four things over the life of Christ. Was he relationally invested? Yes. Yeah, he came for the purpose of love. He came to love and to redeem, to bring back into relationship with himself. Was he, personally, was he relationally invested? Absolutely. Did he persist through the pain? For the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. Absolutely. Was he unapologetically intentional? I don't know. You, 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 if you can name for me another Jewish homeless man that lived 3,000 years ago or 2,000 years ago, uh, then maybe he wasn't as intentional as I think he is. But three years of public ministry, homeless, never wrote anything himself that you and I read except through the um, working of the Holy Spirit. But uh, was he intentional? Absolutely. To seek and to save the lost. Was he generous? gave his very life. And so really, a life built on grace is simply a life built on Jesus that reflects its foundation. And your life, your fruit, the fruit of your life will always be determined by the foundation of your life. Always, every single time. And as we come to his table this morning, to taste and to see that he's good, that he's gracious, I think Jesus invites us also to question, where are we building our life? What is our foundation, and is it on him and on him alone? I'll invite you to put your stuff away, and we're going to lead towards the table. The table, communion table, is open to any who are followers of Jesus. If that's you this morning, then I'd invite you to come and to celebrate the sacrifice of the Lamb of God to remember the fact that he's invested relationally, that he persisted through the pain, that he was intentional with his life, and that he's exceedingly, abundantly more generous than we could ever possibly imagine. 
Table's open to all who are followers of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you, put your faith in him this morning. Uh, Repent, and that just simply means change your mind about the way that you're living. Turn, run to him, know his embrace, know his love, and then come and celebrate his provision with us. There's tables at the front. There's tables to the side. The green napkin up here to my left is gluten-free, so if you don't like gluten or gluten doesn't like you, that's your... Uh, that's your um, bowl there. But let's pray as we go to the table. Jesus, I thank you for this beautiful invitation to build our lives on you and on you alone. And Father, in a world where we're just bombarded with a ton of different ideas and different uh, affections and things that capture our attention, and, and it can be so difficult to be so focused like the Apostle Paul was. And so I pray, would you give us that this morning to really sink our anchor into your grace and into your mercy, into your love that's purchased us, that's redeemed us as we come to your table? Would you remind us of it this morning? And would you invite us afresh and anew to build our lives on you and on you alone. And may the foundation of grace create in us all faithfulness and fruitfulness to the very end. That'd be our prayer. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.